0: So tonight we are in week two of our Miracle Series, and if you've maybe missed last week, I do want to encourage you to go and catch up online at highfeld.online, all right? The church's name is not Highfeld, it's Every Nation 20 Highfeld, but everything you need to know about church is at highfeld.online. If you are visiting us for the first time tonight, on that same platform, there's a Connect card, Um, and we'd love for you to fill that in as well as from there you'll see that we also have three um, social responsibility projects that we're partnering with, and we'd love to make a 100 grand gift on your behalf to one of those three, the one that you choose, just as a way to say thank you for being with us tonight. So if you are here for the first time, Heifelder Online Connect Card. Um, The theme is miracles. All right, well done. Whom of you have ever prayed for someone and then something happened? Something good happened. Okay. What if you prayed for someone and something bad happened? Ansi used to joke and say that he's prayed for someone before and then they died. Um, so that can also happen, right? Because eventually everyone dies. But what um, if you've prayed for someone and then there was nothing? What if you have felt discouraged and then you didn't really want to feel stepping out to pray again? Now, there's a couple of things when it comes to miracles. Now, yes, the prayer and fast week theme is miracles. The sermon series theme is miracles. But the theme for the whole year is miracles. That's what we're trusting God for, that from a place of knowing God, that we will see the works of God be made manifest in the earth. Now, there's a couple of things that's important. The parameters for miracles, all right? What are the... Um, the, the groundwork for miracles? What are the allowed areas where miracles can happen? The first one is, is God's character. So God is love, God is mercy, God is peace, God is kind, God is good, God is uh, all of the other attributes of God. So it's the, the character of God is the first parameter for miracles. The second one is His nature, His ability, His power, His strength. Now, the, so the parameter for miracles is not your knowledge. The parameter in which God wants to work miracles is not your past experiences. The parameter is not your um, perspective or your perceptive of what can, God can and cannot do. The parameter for miracles is God's character and God's nature. And in those spaces God wants to work, we can just step back. So whether you've prayed for someone before and nothing happened, it's okay. Uh, Two Sundays back, we prayed for Louis. Where's Louis Creek? Was it? Somewhere. Uh, Where he was complaining of uh, incredible back pain and God touched him in the service and he was healed. On Thursday night, there was a a lady that was um, complaining with um, just gout problems And as we were praying in that moment, she just felt God bringing up attention and a release. Um, So we're still waiting for the feedback, but she believes that God touched her in that moment. Um, I've prayed for many people and then uh, nothing necessarily changed. I remember once praying for someone where she was also complaining of back pain. And we prayed for the back pain and nothing changed. And so we kept on praying, asking God just for a word of knowledge. And then God revealed something that there's an area where she's not trusting God, where she's holding on to, and she's not releasing it to trust God. It's like, yeah, there's something that I know about. I said, okay, but let's, let's lay that down. And the moment she repented and laid it down, the back pain was gone. Because you see, your flesh is secondary to your spirit. And sometimes there are strongholds in the spirit that manifest in your flesh that can be sickness or a back pain and there are spiritual things that you might need to break open so that something can break through in your flesh. There's a lady that we prayed for um, that couldn't see. Um, and we were praying for her. And the, we prayed and then she's like, no, still nothing. And then we prayed and we prayed and she's like, wait, 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 wait. I can see here. <laughs> and there was like this dim glimmer of hope um, of God starting to work something. Now, how the... the, the The more times you allow yourself to be a vessel for God to work through, the more times you will see Him move. Does that make sense? The more times you swim, the more times you'll likely get wet. So may we see God move. What's the purpose of miracles? First one is to declare God's goodness. God's goodness. Many times in the Bible, you'll see God working great works, and then those people don't even respond in belief in God, but God still did a miracle, and it's His goodness. The Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Who, if you have experienced the goodness of God over your life? All right? Here's a caution. The goodness of God over your life is not um, a sign of God's approval over your life. That's the caution. The fact that God is good to you doesn't mean that He approves of everything in your life. God is good because God is good. And it's His goodness that leads us to repentance. But God works miracles to show His goodness. When someone is in pain, when there is trauma, whether it's physical or mental or spiritual, and God brings a breakthrough, it is showing His goodness. Then God is um, His greatness, His power, His ability. What is impossible for God? Nothing is impossible for God. Okay, there's that song that we sing. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. Do we believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that not, there is nothing that will stand against God and says, "No, God, you can't come here." If God wills something, it will come to pass. And God does miracles to reveal his greatness, his power. There is nothing that opposes God. And then lastly, it's all for God's glory, that He will be made known. So that's why God works miracles. So tonight we're going to go into a portion of text in John 6, and maybe you're familiar with the story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. How many of you have had to feed that many people before? Christina, at an Indian wedding, not Nothing? Not 5,000. Close. 4,995. But we're going to go into John 6. Now, the Scriptures won't be on the board, the text itself, so you can page to John 6 um, in whatever platform you want to. And as you go there, um, I'd love to pray for us. Father, we thank you that we can come to your Word tonight, and we can know that your Word is alive and active. And we, we want to submit ourselves to your Word tonight, Lord, and we ask that your Word will speak to our spirits. Thank you right now that we can push our flesh to the side, we can push our emotions to the side, and we can tune our spirits to hear from your word, to submit ourselves to your word tonight, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the gospel of John was written by the disciple named John, um, who was the one whom Jesus loved. That's what he says about himself, so it must be true. And um, this miracle of feeding the 5,000 is, um, apart from the resurrection, the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And um, John gives us the, the reason for writing the Gospel of John in John chapter 20, where he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John says, I'm writing these letters to you so that you may know that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God, that in believing in Him, you will have life. And if you would like to have life. Life doesn't mean that you are breathing, because you can breathe and not have life. I'm writing these things to you so that you will know that Jesus is God. And in believing in Him, that you will have life. So John chapter 6 We pick it up in verse 2. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. So, obviously, the the rumors of Jesus have been going around, and people have been hearing these stories, and and crowds have started to gather. All right? Now, whom of you drive on the N1 to work? All right? And then sometimes you drive towards Joburg, and then there's an accident, Pretoria side. What happens to your lane? It also slows down because people drive like this. Like, guys, it's not affecting us. We can go. (laughs) But that's what we do. When there's commotion, our attention drifts. And that's what was happening around Jesus' life and ministry. There were these signs and wonders and things were happening. And people's attention was being drawn towards this man whom some were saying is the Messiah. Could it really be? They've been waiting for him for a very long time. You'll see that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years passed without God speaking through his prophets. There was silence over the land. And now these rumors arise. Could this be the one whom has been, who has been spoken about for centuries? So now people start to gather and they see the signs. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip. Any any Philips here? There we go. And Jesus said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus comes and he asks Philip, so Philip, hears a multitude of people. Obviously, they've been here for a while. They're going to go hungry, um, and Jesus saw them, and he has compassion on them. How are we going to feed them, Philip? What are we going to do to feed these people? But then Jesus asked this to test him and to test his disciples and to teach them something. Now, whom if you know the story of Jesus being in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil, Who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. Just as you and I will often be tested because God wants to work something in us. Not everything that happens in you is the devil. Sometimes God is working something in your life because He wants to teach you something. Not saying it's bad things and God causes calamity to teach you something, there's a difference. But sometimes God will use moments because he wants to teach you something. And then Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread, and that was basically what they probably had in their money sacks, would not be sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? I don't even know why he brought that up. Hey, Jesus, here's a lot of people, but this little boy has five loaves and two fish. Uh, it's like, okay. Or well, maybe there's other people who also pack their lunch, and they can all bring their lunch, and then we can share it together. And it's like a, and we do that at church, that bring and share, right? Um, maybe that could work. So, and then Jesus gives this. But this is important. Jesus, The Scripture said Jesus already knew what he wanted to do or what he was going to do. Let me take you back to John 5. So just the previous chapter, 5 verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Son only does what He sees the Father doing. Now, all throughout Jesus' ministry, you would often read that He withdrew Himself and go to lonely places to pray To hear from the Father. Now, the scripture says that he only does what he sees the Father doing. Where is the Father? In heaven. Where is the Son? On earth. So, can the Son see the Father physically? Like I'm seeing you now. So, where did he see the Father? In prayer. So Jesus withdrew often to pray so that he could see the Father, so that he could know the will of the Father. And again, what happens in the Spirit will happen in the natural. So there's something that the Father shows him in the spiritual. He says, my son, this is what I'm about to do. And then the son goes and actions the will of the Father. It's not a, um, it's not a hard work to do the thing that God has already done. You just step out in obedience. In the same way, church, for you and me, part of this prayer and fasting week is for you and I to withdraw ourselves so that we can see the Father, so that in the same way we can do what the Father is doing, that there are works that God has already done and is asking you and me, will you come and see what I have done so that you can go and do it? Not by your might, not by your power. I've already done it. You are just walking in the fullness of what I've already done, so that it can be made manifest. Jesus was so confident of what He was about to do because He's already seen the Father doing it. Amen? Jesus said to them, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number, in number about 5,000. 5,000 just the men. We know there were children, so most probably there were women as well. Just 5,000 men. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks to the Father for what the Father has already done, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. To whom did Jesus give this abundance? On the board, to whom did Jesus give the abundance? To his disciples. Friends, God wants to work through you and me. There is a work that God has already done, but He wants to work through us. In John 15, there's this the parable of the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do some things. Nothing. Okay, good. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Can the branch bear fruit apart from the vine? It cannot. But here's a a kingdom treasure for you. Can the vine bear fruit without the branch? Jesus makes himself subject to us in the way that his works are to be made manifest through us. He wants to be connected to us in such a deep way that he cannot even bear fruit apart from us being in him. We cannot bear fruit apart from Him, but His desire is to bear fruit through us. He wants to work through us. So there's a work that God has already done, and now He entrusts it to us. And He says to His disciples, you go and hand it out. Go and give to the people. And then, so when they were filled, they had enough. He said to His disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets. How many disciples were there? Twelve? With the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Amen. It's a beautiful full circle story where the crowds gather because they've heard about this Messiah, they've maybe heard about these signs, and they're drawn towards Jesus. And now Jesus performs this incredible miracle where over 5,000 people are being fed with five loaves and two fishes. And then they gather up all of this. Um, Jesus empowers His disciples. He teaches them something about being dependent on the Father, seeing what the Father has done. And then we're just walking full circle in God's full provision. And then the miracle, and then the people who have now experienced this miracle, say, this is truly the prophet that will come into the world. Isn't that a good story? That through us, consecrating ourselves, seeing in the Spirit what the Father does, we just get to walk out what God has already done, and it is made manifest in the natural. It is not your effort. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Jesus says that we will do greater works than what he has done. Not because of us, he says, but because I go to my Father, and then whatever belongs to him, he gives to us. There are great works that God has already done. He's just waiting for disciples who will see in the Spirit and act in the natural. And that could have been a good end to the story. But I want to take you to the latter part of the story, and this is where your seatbelt can be fastened. Cause this is going to be a good year. Are you ready? Okay, it can be a bridgestone as well, but it's going to be a good year. Okay, I get two lame jokes per service, right, Peter? <laughs> Verse 15 says Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So Jesus withdrew himself. Now we see the story where the disciples got onto the boat, they got over the Sea of Galilee towards Capernaum, and there Jesus walked to them on the water, um, and then they were in Capernaum. And now we are picking up the story in verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. How beautiful is that? Yesterday, they encountered this miracle-working God, this prophet. Now today they come again And they also take their boats and they cross the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum because they were seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Here's what Jesus says to them. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. You're not here for me. You're here because you're hungry again. Yesterday you got bread, today you want bread again. You're not here for me. You're hungry again. Friends, you and I can pursue God, but not really pursue Him. We can do a lot of work. We can get onto boats and cross the Sea of Galilee and get to Capernaum, but not really look for Jesus. There can be a lot of religious activity around our lives, but it's not necessarily about Jesus. We are just hungry again. Jesus says to them, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. He says to them, You're not here for me, you're here because you're hungry. Do not labor for that which perishes, because tomorrow you will labor again and again and again. Look for that which the Father has given, which does not perish. And this is what they say What shall we do that we may do the works of God? I'm missing it. (laughs) We hear you, but we don't. Okay, but what can we do so that we can also do the works of God? How can I also turn two um, fishes and five loaves into this multitude? Maybe they saw a need for their family. Maybe they saw a business opportunity. If I can do that, just bring two, uh, two fishes and five loaves. All right, bring it to the market. Let's multiply this. Profitability. What can we do that we can do the works of God? Jesus says to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him who He sent. This is the work of God that you believe in Him who He has sent. Do you want to know how to do the works of God? Believe in the Son. Believe in the one whom He has sent. And this is what they say. Therefore they said to Him, What sign will you perform? that we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? I fed you yesterday. (laughs) Over 5,000 of you, and then they say, what sign will you do that we may believe you? Oh, we have little faith. We find ourselves in a place where God has done stuff in our lives. And then the moment the challenges arise, the moment that prayer that you have is not immediately answered, the moment the breakthrough doesn't come in the way that you want it, Jesus, what sign will you do that I will still believe in you? No, I've done it already. I've done it already. They say to him, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. In the wilderness, God fed the people of Israel for 40 years with manna and quail from heaven. And then now they're saying, Our fathers ate manna from heaven. But what work will you do, Jesus? And then Jesus says to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He speaks into a very important portion here. In the previous passage, Jesus feeds them and they are amazed and they say, this is the prophet that will come down from heaven. But they're not speaking in the sense that this is God. They're not recognizing Jesus as God. Oh no, this is the prophet who will now come and meet all of our needs. My study notes has this following in it where it says, the people's response of this is truly the prophet back in verse 14 reflects that the popular belief that a prophet like Moses who fed the Israelites with manna would come into this world to establish an earthly paradise, an earthly paradise. How often do we want Jesus to come and work an earthly paradise here? God, will you come and sort out corruption in this nation? Maybe he's concerned about the corruption in your heart. Lord, would you come and sort out the poverty in this nation? Maybe he's concerned about those who are poor in spirit. You see, there's a work that God is busy doing that is eternal. He's mindful of an eternal kingdom. But how often do we position our faith because we want God to come and establish an earthly paradise? Lord, I want my family to prosper. I want my finances to prosper. I want my kids to grow up in a nation that will not have difficulties. God is busy working something so much greater than this world. And something so much greater than your life. He's building an eternal paradise. It went on to say, this sparked their messianic fervor and they wanted to establish Jesus as their political bread Messiah. (laughs) Jesus is not your bread Messiah. He's not here to meet every single nag that we have. He's here to um, speak to your spirit. Because he's preparing you for eternity. And in that, may his goodness overwhelm your life. Where your needs are met. there are certain things that God promises you and he says to you, do not worry about what you shall eat and drink and where you shall sleep. Those are the things that those who do not believe worry about. So he's giving you a promise, but he's not our political bread Messiah to sort out all of the things that we want him to do now. Because we have a dream for an earthly paradise. God is working eternity. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Sir, give us this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You want this bread? Come to me. That has always been the invitation. It still is the invitation. It will always be the invitation that we will come to him. That we will come to him. In Mark 1 verse 16, Jesus says to the first disciples, come, follow me. Those who are um, tired and heavy laden, come to me. But in order for you to come to him, you have to leave what you have so that you can take hold of who he is. You have to forsake what you know so that you can take hold of him. There are certain things that we are holding on to that keep us distant from Jesus. It means to deny ourselves, to let go of everything that will hinder you on this journey. During this fast week, some of you let go of stuff because you wanted to present yourself more available to God, to be able to let go of stuff that will hinder you in this journey. You see, many, if we read the Gospels, many saw the signs, many saw the wonders, many heard the teachings of Jesus, but not all of them chose to follow. They might have even believed that He truly is God, but there were some things that they were not willing to let go of, so they did not completely follow Him. And maybe it was their comfort. Maybe it was their sense of security that they found in their finances. Maybe it was their circle of influence that they didn't want to let go of. Because in those days, to follow this Messiah meant ridicule. It meant persecution. It meant rejection. It meant discomfort. It meant certain uncertainties. There are things that you had to forsake in order to follow Him. And for many, the cost was too high. Jesus says, if we want to follow him, we have to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. And for many, it was too high. I want to conclude with this. I don't know how long I'll conclude till I'm done. But um, where's Austin? Uh, just recapping on the prayer and fast week, so I had, um, I had quite a big expectation for myself during this last week, and um, I said this morning as well that I didn't pray this much, that much for the church. Um, I really had, like, um, pulled myself aside and said, Lord, there's specific things that I need you to do in my life. There's specific things that I need you to speak into my life. And um, I tried to really take time out and pull time aside and just to present myself to hear from God. And it wasn't these moments where, you know, I hear this voice of heaven. Um, But I took some of my journals. Some of you journal. I journal a lot. If you read my journals, you know every single detail (laughs) of my life. I got one of my journals from 2010 where Riet and I um, were still just checking each other out. Um, She was checking me out more than me, her, but... um, (laughs) Uh, So, but I was like this, this deep stuff that I wrote down. And I mean, God knows everything, right? What is there that God doesn't know about your life? What is there that God doesn't know about your heart? So my journal is just an honest confession about anything in my life. And in, as I went through the journal, some of them were, were um, wrestles with God, with our journey with children, where I need to get back to what God has spoken to us. And sometimes red would be in a place and I'm like, God, I can do nothing here. You need to do something. So that was part of our, our, my journal. But then there was a theme um, where I was crying out to God for greater intimacy with Him, greater connectedness with God, to hear His voice. There are things that God, I remember in 2012, someone gave me a prophetic word about seeking God and seeking out the deep things of God. Um, and as I read through my journal, parts of it was convicting, convicting. Because there were things that I wrote down, let's say, in 2014. And then four years, five years, six years later, I would be writing the same thing. And it wasn't a, I didn't feel condemned and I didn't have like this massive pity party. But there was something that spoke to me and just said, did I press in eight years ago? There's stuff that God awakened in my spirit for prayer and intercession. And then six years later, I'm still saying, God, I want to pray more. I want to be better at waking up early. And you see, but there's, there's this thing called the flesh. And the flesh also has a will of its own. And it doesn't necessarily want to do the things of God. It doesn't want to go to bed early so that I can wake up early and pray. No, it wants to watch another movie or another series or another episode. It wants to indulge in social media. During this prayer and fast week, I had to work, but my phone has this focus mode. And I um, made all of my social media apps inactive, so I couldn't access them. You know how many times I find myself in a place where I'm waiting. I have like a minute. And the first thing, instinctively, without me telling my body to do it, my phone goes to my thumb, and then it unlocks, and it scrolls to where Facebook is, and then I can't access it because it's gray. Because there are certain patterns that have been established in my flesh, and it takes zero effort for me to act in the flesh. Zero. It just happens instinctively. Some of them are seemingly harmless. Some of them are harmful. But there was this place where I had to ask myself, am I really seeking God more? Am I giving myself to God? And Monday, Marinas, who leads our High Church, shared a, a word with our staff, and he gave this picture of digging down for water and he said that we, we should not stop digging until we find water. You see, sometimes we dig and we find water and it's enough just to part your lips and you feel better. But there's this well of living water that wants to bubble up inside of us. But if we stop digging, we will not find it. And friends, some of us have become so comfortable in your level of Christianity that you don't even go back to the well to dig again. And there's a spiritual drought. A week of prayer and fasting won't fix it. It's a devotion to Christ. It's a devotion to Jesus where you dig down and you do not stop until you find water. There's a couple of things that that, um, I was pondering on. And one of them was, obviously, as leaders in the church, we have this responsibility, according to Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that you will grow up, that you will mature, that um, your relationship with God will grow and that you will become stable in your walk in life. And we get to set a platform for you to grow. But I cannot participate on your behalf. This last week we had a prayer and fast week. Whether you participated or not, it's on you. Whether you set yourself to seek the face of God, it's on you cannot read your bible for you i cannot discipline um i cannot be be your spiritual discipline to prayer on your behalf i cannot dig down deep for water for you um this sunday and for the next three sundays we're doing a, a training to help you hear the voice of god because if you can hear the voice of god you will know what to do and if you can do what the father tells you to do you will be okay You will be okay, but I cannot do the work for you. Whether you grow spiritually, church, it's on you. We currently find ourselves in an uncertain place as a nation. All right? Some of you know that there's also an energy crisis in Europe. Some of you know that there's countries in Europe that also has load shedding. Okay, we do not have the divine right for crisis in South Africa. Okay, there were petitions going out. How dare they also have load shedding? It's ours. Give our load shedding back. (laughs) Globally, the world is uncertain. So, what do you need in uncertain times? Do you need more money? Do you need more freedom? Maybe you feel bound and you're not able to do the things you want to do. Do you need more freedom? Do you need more wisdom so that you can make the right decision? know what to say yes to what to say no to know where to invest and where not John 15 Jesus says apart from me you can do nothing do you believe that are you deeply convicted as you sit here tonight that apart from Jesus you can do nothing or are there some things that you think you can do you see, when we take time to pray and to fast, some of it is good for my flesh. It was nice on Friday to feel that my love handles are better. <laughs> and your pants feel a little bit looser. And it's, So fasting is good for your flesh, oh, but it's so good for your spirit. I don't care if you felt it this week. If you disciplined yourself to seek the Lord, something happened in your spirit because the, God, the Lord worked it in you. And is establishing you in your faith. When we set ourselves aside, we are training our spirit. The Bible says that we need to train ourselves for godliness. And we do that by denying the flesh. When you fast, you are saying to your flesh that you will not live on bread alone because there is the bread of life. We train ourselves for godliness in the same way that there are certain habits in my flesh that I do not even need to think about. It just goes there instinctively. I need to break down those bad habits and I need to train my flesh that it will be subject to the Spirit. Flesh, you will listen to the Lord. And as I discipline my flesh, new disciplines become instinctive. Where it is not difficult to press into the presence of the Lord. Where it is not difficult to hear the voice of God so that you can know what to do with your life. We need to practice dependency on God because everything around you wants you to be independent. Everything around you wants to be independent. Even the whole idea of saving for your future and your retirement is so that you can be independent and not be a burden. I'm not saying don't save and think about retirement. Just don't fall into a place where you go into independency. Because you and I were designed to be dependent on God. And we need to train ourselves to be dependent. So after this prayer and fast week, some of you let go of stuff in this week to say, Lord, I'm going to let go of these things so that I can hear you clearer. Would it not be good for you to continue in them? Maybe there are some things that you let go of this week that you should not pick up again. Maybe there are some habits that you need to start. If there is something in your life that is hindering you from walking closely with God, why would you want to pick it up? Why would you want to pick up something that hinders you from walking in the fullness God has for your life? Let God God deal with your unbelief. Let him deal with your um, your lack of faith. Let him deal with whatever it is, that mistrust that you have in him, that he is able to do it. Let him deal with it. It might be tough for a season, but God is um, teaching you to be dependent on him. And church, that is where you want to be, to be dependent on God. And then lastly, the the world is not going to get easier for Christians Jesus gave us a promise if you follow me you will have persecution (laughs) praise you Lord thank you for persecution said the church never you see there are certain things that society is proclaiming as true which is in opposition to the word of God and this is the ultimate truth this is absolute truth Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no truth that stands opposed to him. But society is placing certain things and say, no, this is true. You can choose your gender. And maybe a couple of years back, it would have been, oh, you're a Christian and you believe different. Oh, well, each to his own. No, no, no. Now you are seen as the enemy. You will need endurance. You will need perseverance. You will need faith. You will need character. You will need a conviction that Jesus is truly God for you to make it. Friends, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Um, those of you who do not know, our first baby is coming end of March. Praise the Lord for that. So, um, but now with that, um, I need to now get another vehicle, because uh, my Baki is not child-friendly. I grew up on the back of a Baki. I did fall off once, but I mean, here I am. Yeah. Uh, but now, um, there's this one thing that is a very good slogan in my life. Budget is king. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Many are the plans and the desires in a man's heart, but budget is king. Jesus is king. <laughs> Um, So, but I found one that I really liked and it ticked all the boxes, but it was outside of my budget. So I phoned them and I negotiated uh, like a good Jew would. (laughs) And um, they came back to me and they didn't want to go for my suggested price, but they gave me a discounted price. Um, And it was still outside of my budget, but I could make it work but I didn't have a release from God. Like I didn't have this peace. Now, if there's one thing that I can give you that I've learned over the last couple of years, do not move apart from the peace of God. Do not move if you do not have peace. Rather wait. Rather wait. Even if it is okay to do it, but you don't have peace, it's okay. Let it go. But now I didn't move. And um, in my mind, I'm hoping, they're not going to sell it. They're going to phone me. Ah, please just take it for the price you want. And I went on. Uh, so one of the things that I didn't do this whole week was I go on Auto Trader and look at Bucky's, because okay, that's what men do, right? We even if you don't need a, a car, you go on Auto Trader. And, <laughs> but anyway, um, and you know what happened in my heart uh, yesterday as I was scrolling through Auto Trader again? Anxiety comes back. Hello, <laughs> where were you the last week? Um, because I'm now taking control of something that I should leave with Jesus. So eventually I let it go. And as I climbed in bed last night, John 6 ministered to me. Because you know what? Because I saw, that's the point of the story. I saw that that buck is not available anymore. It's sold. <laughs> Stupid. And now I'm reflecting and thinking, man, I could have made it work. Like I could have squeezed it and made it work. And now I've missed out. Because now I can't find something that ticks all the boxes and it will cost more, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm thinking, oh, man, maybe I missed out. Maybe I am overthinking it. And this is what God spoke to my heart you missed out on nothing because you have the bread of life. You missed out on nothing. Even if it was okay for me to buy it and I was being um, a little, like super religious and um, I was overthinking it, I missed out on nothing because I have the bread of life. You can lose your job. You've lost nothing. You have the bread of life. A relationship can go sour. You've lost nothing. You have the bread of life. You can even lose your life you've lost nothing because you have the bread of life which lasts into eternal life let's pray I want you to take a moment and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit and here's something what I want you to believe and you can keep your eyes closed I don't care what you believe about yourself but there is a belief in God about you that overrides you. There is a truth about God that is truer than whatever truth you hold in your heart. And this is true. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care what is happening in your emotional life right now. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Do you believe it? Say, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you want to speak to me. Speak to me now. Ask Him, what is the one thing that you need to stop doing because it's hindering your walk with Him? What is one thing that you maybe need to start doing or continue doing? But just one thing, just ask Him and He will speak to you. if the Holy Spirit shows you something, it means He's already done it and you can trust Him with it. So if the Holy Spirit has shown you something, won't you go into an agreement with Him right now? Just say, Holy Spirit, I give you this or I will continue to do this. Make a promise with the Holy Spirit. Go into an agreement with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to help you ask him to help you to be faithful because oh we cannot do it without him that we will follow through on the commitments we make to a living God and then lastly I want to ask have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus have you totally said yes to following Jesus on his terms, not yours. Not so that he can come and build an earthly paradise in your life, on his terms. Or are you living your own life? You see, there's this danger that you and I can live lives that are parallel to Jesus, close enough that you can see the signs, close enough that you can hear the stories, close enough that you can know some church language, but you don't truly know him. You might know about him, but if you were honest with yourself tonight, You know that you do not truly know Jesus because, friends, knowing Jesus is reserved. It's a privilege reserved only to those who have chosen to truly follow him. Have you come to the end of yourself and have you chosen to follow Jesus? May the Spirit of God is speaking to to you tonight. Is saying to you, my son, my daughter, today I'm calling you to follow me. To stop playing Christianity. To stop playing church. You see, there was this thing that happened in the New Testament. When people started to follow Jesus, their lives changed. There was a transformation that took place. Their lives did not look the same. And then the things that they lived for changed. They were not chasing their own kingdoms anymore. They were now building the kingdom of God. And their lives were directed for the glory of God so that His kingdom will come. They did not live for themselves. Something changes when you truly choose to follow Jesus. And if the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now to say, I'm calling you to follow Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. anyone else before we pray I want us to pray this prayer and I want you to pray it with me all of us together Lord Jesus tonight I lay down my life no more I I choose to follow you my life now belongs to you you can do as you please. Teach me to hear your voice. Help me to obey you. But I lay aside everything else so that I can take hold of you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit right now. And teach me to walk with you for all the days of my life. Father, thank you that your word promises that you give us the Holy Spirit as a seal and a guarantee that we belong to you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and work as a seal upon these lives. And that you will set in place the decision they've made tonight. And it will never need to be remade. Thank you that you fill them up. And thank you that you fill them now with your peace and your joy. As they come to feast on you, they will never hunger again. As they believe in you, they will never thirst again. In Jesus' name.